This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com an to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot com slash A-N. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, March 20th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, Toyota thinks hydrogen is crucial to carbon neutrality. Jaguar names a new chief. And EV charging company Flow says federal aid has been crucial for its expansion. Plus, the Center for Automotive Research has a new study on the state of driverless technologies. We'll hear from CEO Alan Amici, who says visions of AVs for everyone, everywhere, all the time, are still a ways away from reality. We are likely a long way away from personal purchase or private purchase of autonomous vehicles. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota's newly appointed CEO, Koji Sato, says hydrogen will be a top priority of his carbon neutrality strategy. That's even as he redoubles his focus on electric vehicles. Under his watch, through the end of the decade, Sato says the focus will be on expanding the hydrogen infrastructure and the array of industries using the futuristic fuel. He talked about his hydrogen goals over the weekend on the sidelines of an endurance race where Toyota had planned to field a hydrogen-powered race car. Sato, who takes over as CEO of Toyota on April 1st, said last month after being named to the top job that the world's biggest automaker must drastically change the way it does its business and adopt an EV-first mindset. It turns out the Jaguar brand will also have a new head on April 1st. Jaguar Land Rover has appointed the company's head of UK operations, Rod and Glover, to oversee the revamped Jaguar brand. Glover's title at Jaguar will be Brand Managing Director. His promotion comes as Jaguar prepares to become an all-electric brand in 2025 and position itself higher in the market with a new range of luxury models. Glover's former job as Managing Director of JLR's UK operations will be managed on an interim basis by Patty McGillicuddy. He's currently the head of sales and marketing in the UK. Federal funding to support a national electric vehicle charging network has prompted Flow, spelled F-L-O, to hasten its EV charger manufacturing and deployment strategy in the U.S. The Canada-based EV charging company entered the U.S. market in 2018, but more recently, federal largesse from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act has encouraged more rapid investments and scaling up of production in the U.S. That's according to CEO Louis Tremblay, who called the law's EV-related provisions critically complementary. As we see that the market is growing in the United States and there is definitely commitment at the federal level, at the state's level, with programs like the Navy funding, like IRE, it just made a lot more sense to speed up this deployment. Flow launched production at its first U.S. manufacturing plant in the Detroit suburb of Auburn Hills late last year. The company plans to make 250,000 EV chargers by 2028 for the U.S. market. And a Russian court has frozen all of Volkswagen's assets in Russia. That's according to court documents seen by Reuters. VW was one of a string of foreign automakers that suspended operations in Russia after Western countries imposed unprecedented sanctions on Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine. 
VW is trying to sell its Russian factory in Kaluga, south of Moscow. The plant, which has a capacity of 225,000 vehicles a year, has been furloughed for about a year. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, we still don't know who the UAW president is. Should we be concerned? I think so. I think there's a lot of questions. You know, we're one week away from the bargaining convention where they're supposed to set the priorities for the negotiations that come up uh, this summer and fall. You know, we don't know who's in charge, but we know the guy who's losing has filed a series of protests and complaints. He's calling one of the newly elected board members illegitimate, and he's questioning the whole process of the election. So there's going to be a lot of chaos in the leadership as they're trying to form this crucial platform heading into the talks. And you look at the contrast with Unifor over in Canada, right? They, I mean, they had their own scandal. It was a much smaller one. They have a new president as well. But, you know, the UAW is still trying to figure out who their leaders are going to be. And Unifor is already floating trial balloons about the possibility of adopting profit share, maybe as a trade-off or not as big a raises. So it looks like, you know, the Canada side is really humming along. And in Detroit, we have, you know, finger pointing, infighting and chaos. Ooh, they're going to need to sort that one out. Uh, coming up, the autonomous vehicle industry has had a series of setbacks in the past year. We'll hear about what that means for the future of AVs next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose Recontract. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The Center for Automotive Research, or CAR, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, recently released a report on the state of automated driver assist systems, autonomous vehicles, and connectivity. Automotive News tech and innovation reporter Molly Boygan recently caught up with the CAR president and CEO, Alan Amici, to talk about the study and his thoughts on the future of AVs. They spoke on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. In the report, I thought a really interesting point that you all made is that at this point, autonomous vehicles must operate with existing infrastructure and traditional vehicles. You know, obviously in an ideal situation, uh, autonomous vehicles would be on the road together and, and, you know, the infrastructure that we have in this country would be, you know, conducive to the interaction between the autonomous vehicles and, and to their strengths. Can you talk about some of the limitations of the current landscape that we have where autonomous vehicles are not operating in that sort of picture-perfect context? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a, maybe two examples I can use. And the first one is not so much in autonomous vehicles, but it is in the advanced driver assist realm, is the notion of V2V, so vehicle-to-vehicle communications. And this is the notion that each car has a radio on it. And 
and it allows one car to communicate to another car over fairly short range. So think of the scenario where you, you're driving one car and I'm driving a different car, and we're pulling up to the same intersection, but there's a, a building in between us, so we can't really see each other. So in the scenario with V2V communications, your car could communicate with my car to say, I'm approaching, I know where you're located based on your nav, so we're approaching the same intersection. I'm going this speed, but I'm slowing down and I'm coming to a stop. Keep your eyes out to the right because I'm there. Now, this is a really interesting scenario and it's very doable, but it requires cars to have radios. And so if my car has a radio and yours doesn't, the V2V system doesn't work. And you can extend that to autonomous vehicles where you're trying to communicate with other cars or you understand the path that this car is going to take. Much more predictable if they're all autonomous vehicles versus humans interspaced with, with autonomous vehicles. And one more example I think is really a great example is the construction agriculture space. So if you think of agriculture, you've got a geofenced area. There are no pedestrians. There are no bicyclists. There are no parked cars. And because of GPS, you know exactly the geography of your particular you know, field in agriculture that you're going to plow or you're going to see. It's a great example of a terrific application of an autonomous vehicle, you know, in agriculture. There's no people, there are no obstacles, you know exactly what you're getting. And companies like John Deere and others have really gone a long way in autonomous vehicles in that space. So we're actually seeing more penetration and more use of autonomous vehicles in construction agriculture than we are in the, in the passenger car vehicle because that environment is a little bit more manageable without ped pedestrians and such. You know, the report also says freight operations and robo-taxis are another sort of first frontier for mm -hmm. AVs. I, I think the freight operations example is, is relates to what you were just talking about. You know, it's a very consistent right. environment and a relatively simple application of the technology. But for robo-taxis, why is that such an attractive market for AVs? So if you think about either a predetermined path or a geofenced path, so that is a, you know, that's not an unbounded path, but I generally know in which area this particular taxi is going to be covered. And so this notion of a geo, of geofencing or a known path makes the AV challenge a little bit more manageable. So I know where I'm going. I know the path very well, so I've got cameras, I've got mapping technology, I can get a passenger into the car and I can take off. And so this isn't maybe a challenge that's less difficult than if I'm putting an autonomous vehicle on an open environment where the speeds are varying, where you know I've, I've got to deal with pedestrians or I've got to deal with uh, bicycles or I have construction traffic and you know, all these variables that, that can change over time. If I can have a confined area, so a shuttle bus that has a defined path, perhaps even its own lane, maybe a robo-taxi that has its own lane. I mean, those are much easier solutions than this notion of autonomous vehicles for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Yes. And, and you know, another, another cultural limitation that, that comes up in the context of robo-taxis is the fact that people really like to own their own cars. I mean, how, 
how are people going to how, how are companies kind of addressing that concern? And I mean, maybe it's not imminent, but, you know, whether you're a sort of public transportation advocate or you're an, you're advocating for AVs in these particularly practical scenarios, that appears to be mm-hmm. a challenge. Uh, well, it is. And if you think back maybe six or seven years ago, so 2017 or 2016 timeframe, when we had all these prognostications about autonomous vehicles, you know, being all the rage. And by 2020, there would be a certain percentage of vehicles on the road would be autonomous vehicles and people could go out and purchase an autonomous vehicle. So fantastic. Well, the challenge is, you know, it has turned out to be much greater than, than it is. And we are likely a long way away from personal purchase or private purchase of autonomous vehicles. I mean, the opportunities are going to be more like fleets, more like shuttles, more like these robo-taxis on defined pathways. Quite honestly, you know, it was, it was quite manageable to be able to demonstrate like a 95% solution. So I could show in an autonomous vehicle, I can make an unprotected left turn and the trajectory of this autonomous vehicle would feel very natural. And I can generally follow the red, you know, the traffic lights and I can follow the speed. But these use cases that came up like construction or if a bus breaks down and there's orange cones out in the road. So you have all these these use cases that are kind of difficult to predict. That's been really the challenge with autonomous vehicles is, you know, how do you deal with all these different cases? And so I think the industry has kind of tapped the brakes on deploying autonomous vehicles in mass. And uh, again, you're going to see limited applications with shuttles, with some robo taxis. You'll see a continuation of the uh, advanced driver assist features growing in capability. But I think we're still a long way away from even the affordability of personal purchase of autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And, you know, I think as you know, I, I only joined Automotive News three weeks ago and so was not was not immersed in the world of cars and in particular the world of autonomous vehicles and ADAS. But I certainly didn't really realize that companies were sort of reducing expectations related to personal purchase of autonomous vehicles, um, you know, people owning autonomous vehicles en masse, as you said. And, you know, that's also outlined in the report that that people have basically stopped making projections about when we might have, what year we might have access to personal autonomous vehicles. Do you get the sense that the industry has clearly communicated that shift or or maybe I just missed it? But yeah, do you, do you get the sense that the industry has clearly communicated that shift? Well, you can see it in some of the investments that are being made to, you know, if you go back to 2016 and 2017, there were, you know, billions with B investments in autonomous driving technology. And this was the acquisition of startups uh, like Argo AI and, and Cruise and, and others. And, and, you know, Waymo, Waymo is not an acquisition, but that was um, part of Google. So a lot of money being invested in these programs. And so recently you've seen some pullback in that regard. And of note, last year, Volkswagen and Ford were co-investors in Argo AI, and they've pulled back on that investment and they've wound down the Argo AI business and some of the assets, the talent are going to be working on advanced driver assist systems for Volkswagen and Ford. So there's an example of some pullback and one can speculate, but there's a lot of investment going on, again, billions of dollars in EVs, EV infrastructure, batteries for EVs, and uh, capital is not 
limitless. And so companies have to sit back and make decisions on where to invest. And, and I think companies are looking at this saying the EV future is much more certain than the AV future is. And I think there are many companies out there that's still rather bullish on autonomous vehicles. And there are companies like General Motors is still investing in crews. And there are other companies that are, that are doing that. And, you know, they're going to continue to develop that technology. But I, I think the nearer term returns are going to be from EVs and the EV infrastructure and, you know, how do you make EVs more affordable and more profitable? I think that's much more viable than AVs being profitable in the near term. And so I think you're seeing companies looking at that and saying, we've got to place our bets appropriately. Plus the challenge of AVs. I mean, it is just a little bit more challenging than people really think. You can get to that 98% level, but companies are asking how safe is safe enough and how do I demonstrate that? And that, that part's been very challenging. Alan Amici is the president and CEO of the Center for Automotive Research in Ann Arbor. He spoke with our own Molly Boygan. You can hear the full conversation on Shift, a podcast about mobility, wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Audrey LaForest, Hans Grimel, and Nick Gibbs for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on tech and innovation, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.